Welcome to the WorkJoy Jam. I'm your host, Beth Stallward, founder of Create WorkJoy. In this episode, I am joined by the fantastic Jules Park Robinson. Jules spent many, many years um, as senior roles in leadership in the army and is now on what we're calling a career adventure, having left the army two years ago. And she's also got a fantastic non-executive director role as the chair of British Wheelchair Basketball. So we explore different things like transitions and um, changing your identity because you've been somewhere for so long and what that is like, as well as thinking about how doing things outside of your we'll call it a day job for now doing that volunteering thinking about the things that you're passionate about can make a real difference to your work joy i really hope you enjoy this episode welcome to the work joy jam today i am joined by the wonderful jules park robinson and we have so many different things that we're going to talk about today So before I introduce Jules, because she'll do it so much better herself, Jules, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like the who you are, where you came from of Blind Date um, Stella Black-ing, and how you got to where you are today? Thanks, Beth. And sadly, I do remember that, actually. Yeah, I know. We're old enough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, well, delighted to be here. So a little bit more about me. I was um, born in Abergavenny. So I have a proud Welsh heritage, um, but I then also then grew up in Birmingham before returning back to Wales to study later on, um, where I read international politics at Aberystwyth uh, and then stayed for an extra year um, to do international history. Um, there's a, a reason behind that, which was that I was um, wanting to stay for another year to play rugby and that was my my way around it, <laughs> a justification for staying for another year. Um, so I was... Um, I decided that I wanted to join the army at quite a young age. I was about 15 uh, and I was lucky enough to go through an, a six-form scholarship scheme, which meant that I had a place to join from the age of 16. But I finally went to Sandhurst when I was 23 and commissioned into the Royal Military Police. Um, initially, my career took me out to Germany for six years. Uh, it included operations in Kosovo, which was where I met my husband, um, Iraq and Afghanistan, as you would imagine. Um, and lots of highlights during that career, um, including leading the largest deployment of the Special Investigation Branch since World War II. Um, when I went to Iraq in 2003, I instructed at Sandhurst um, and then uh, led the Tri-Service Police collaboration with the Metropolitan Police on Olympic during London 2012. Um, and then I suppose the key one for me, which would be commanding the Special Investigation Branch, uh, which had global responsibility for the investigation of serious incidents and crime. Uh, involving military personnel. So I got really interested, obviously, from the whole of the justice uh, system, from investigation through to detention, and I decided that I was going to do my law degree um, part-time. I famously did my finals in a porter cabin in Camp Bastion in Afghanistan. Um, And then I spent several years volunteering with my local prison. I think for me, sport has heavily featured uh, throughout um, hockey when I was much younger as a schoolgirl, and I found rugby when I was at university. Um, and I was very fortunate, right place, right time. And having been born in Abergavenny, meant that I could represent um, Wales and played in the Rugby World Cup in 1998. And then when I had to retire from rugby, I sort of discovered I needed something else. It's physical, so I did optical course racing and then decided to start martial arts, so taekwondo and Korean kickboxing when I was about 40. And having had 20 fantastic years in the army, I, I chose to leave in uh, 2019. So I'm now a very proud veteran. Um, I do some work as a reservist. Uh, and uh, outside of that, I'm doing a number of different things. Um, most notably, I'm currently working for Amazon as an operations manager. Um, but also one of the things that brings me work joy is I'm chair of British Wheelchair Basketball, which with the Paralympics coming up this summer is uh, something that I'm not only very proud of, but very excited about too. So that was a very quick introduction to a very uh, interesting 
detailed career. And one of the things I'm really interested in, because a lot of people don't have this, and tell me a little bit more about this, but you kind of knew when you were 16-ish that you wanted to be in the army. And so many people who I speak to have no idea at that point in time and really kind of are out there discovering things. What was it that made you clear that that was a career path for you? Fascinating, actually, because I my uncle was in the Navy, but other than that, didn't really have a huge family uh, history in the military. Um, but we went to a careers fair for my elder sister, who's a couple of years older than me. So I would have been about yeah, 15. Um, she was obviously doing her A-levels at that time and looking for what she was going to do later on. Um, and I saw this um, this recruiting stand for the forces. Um, and I just always knew that I wanted a job that was outside. I didn't want to sit behind a desk. I wanted to be active. Um, my eyesight wasn't good enough to, to fly. Um, I'm not very good with water. <laughs> so the Navy... <laughs> Yeah, I famously, every time I drive across the Severn Bridge, have to do it with the car window open in case of plunge off the side, which is ridiculous because I think that it wouldn't make a huge amount of difference whether <laughs> or not. But it's just become a ridiculous family story now. Um, and so that left me with the army and uh, I met this incredible female uh, officer who basically said, yeah, this is what I do. And, uh, and I spend lots of time skiing and I do this and I do the other thing. And I was like, yeah, OK, I'll have a bit of that. So um, that's what persuaded me to join. And my parents, I think, were a little bit shocked. And when this opportunity came up, she said, well, you can apply for this this scheme. And they went, yeah, great, do it. And so I decided, yeah, I had all my... Um, my interviews and, and selection process at the age of 16, which in hindsight now, 30 years on, is quite scary. I can't imagine necessarily knowing that I really wanted to do that at 16. I knew that I wanted to join the army. I didn't necessarily know that I want what I wanted to do in it. That didn't become clear to me, I think, until I went to Santos, because I didn't really know what the options were at that stage, you know. Um, so it, it opened up my eyes to different things. But I was fortunate then that I had this time period where I could do other things and I didn't have to go until I was at that stage, probably 25. So it gave me the freedom within that period to um, explore a little bit and do some other things and yeah. university a bit longer and, and, and play the rugby and make, make the most of that opportunity. Yeah. And I was also fascinated and wanted to giggle a little bit about the fact of how quickly you rushed over the point that you played in the Rugby World Cup. And how it was just like, yeah, I just played in the Rugby World Cup as if it was just absolutely nothing. Tell us about, um, because obviously sport has played a big part, as you said, in your career. And that's um, a really interesting thing. You did that. And yeah, how was it for you? It's interesting because I always... um... I was a latecomer, I suppose, but in those days that was quite normal because girls didn't play, you know, at school in the way that they do now. We just didn't have that, that opportunity. It's certainly not something that was done at, at my school. It was kind of hockey or, or netball and then tennis in the summer. Um, and I just I went to university and found a, a culture in other sports that I wasn't really keen on. And the attitude within the rugby club was it's very much it was the men and the women together it was one club um we supported each other and I really liked the environment and I just you know felt that anyone was welcome and you could just come along and and give it a go and I've always been a relatively large individual so at those stage I think it was necessarily more brawn than (laughs) skill um but you know I was just in the right place at the right time but really really loved it and I think um, what the army allowed me to do was to have that opportunity to carry on playing and I was lucky captain the, the army side for you know five years and then played combined services and those leadership opportunities to to be the captain of the army side um, and to take those values that I have onto the pitch and then use that outside as well um, a real learning and development opportunity for me. And I always maintained that I was a much worse player when I wasn't, when I was the captain. It was because my head was always thinking about other things. But they needed me on the pitch for my organisation of other people, <laughs> my motivation of other people. And I think, you know, that probably stands true today in all the other things that I do as well. You know, as an individual, I may not be the mo- one with the most skill. Um, but what I can do is I can bring people together in a um, and you know team cohesion is one of the things that I really pride myself on that I can bring together a disparate group of people, give them a purpose, and then send them off in a direction where they can become a really high performing team. 
so it's almost like that's been your thing that's that's the thing that unites with what you do in your work and what you do in sports is bringing people together yeah it's a theme that runs all the way through actually and for me now having left the army after 20 years it's finding those opportunities of where can I use that skill to best effect and you know that allows me to give back as well um you know for me that that's that's really important to be in a Having been in a public sector role for, you know, for 20 plus years to feel that I can still add value and contribute in that way. And BWB has really given me that opportunity. I love it. I'm going to talk about BWB in a little bit and, and talk a bit about, you know, leading sport and all the amazing things that that can do. And um, there's also another theme that I was just picking out from what you were telling us there in your career is that you seem to be somebody who never wants to stop learning and I was noticing that you were I mean the idea of you taking your exams in a porter cabin in Camp Bastion like I can I can picture it in my head right now (laughs) um what is it within yourself what do you do because so many people find this really hard is that continuous learning and finding the time and headspace to make it happen and there's a little bit of me that thinks if you can make it happen whilst you're on tour at Camp Bastion taking your exams then for the rest of us mortals, there probably isn't much of an excuse not to do some L&D stuff right? Yeah well that story gets worse actually Beth because I started um, doing my law degree on maternity leave. Right. As I had this newborn baby that kind of slept and I was like oh okay that's great um, and then I realised that that was the honeymoon period for about the first three weeks and then he didn't sleep quite <laughs> by which stage I was committed um, and I think I suppose I put it into perspective um, in that in being in a military um, family and a military sort of partnership, I did spend a lot of time in a house on my own where my husband and I weren't always um, co-located. And so when you've got kids, you know, you're, you're not really a social animal in the evening. By the time they've gone to bed, what else are you going to do? You can sit and watch the television or you can do something useful with your time and I think there's a balance and there's a need for both um you need to have time to switch off and decompress but also I just always want to learn um so yeah that's that was the third degree and then I just started doing um another master's degree in international human rights because I was trying to work out what's the next thing <laughs> um, so three degrees were not enough for you you needed to go to the four degrees the fourth yeah I know which is it's slightly ridiculous and um I think my family that I haven't told about it yet when they hear this will be aghast and probably a little bit frustrated but I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry I had to do it um but I just think for me I just like having um knowledge and that's not to appear clever but I just think there's something really interesting about learning new things because we can all another aspect that really comes to me and I, and I love mentoring and I mentor a number of young women in particular um but also one of the things we've been talking about as a as a board is we think we know things because we're a certain age but where are we taking those information feeds from and actually what can we learn from people who aren't of our generation and I'm really keen to understand you know I like to think I'm cool and down with kids I'm not. I'm in my mid-40s. I don't know what it feels like to be a 30-year-old or a 20-year-old in the workplace or in a sporting environment unless they tell me because I can't experience that myself. And so actually any opportunity you can get to learn new things um, means that you can pick up snippets of information that you can use in a different environment. It's not just about the, oh, I want to learn about this subject. What does that mechanism of... um, actually applying myself to something um and there's a there's a discipline to that as well um and I've been famously known to say there's 24 hours in the day so what's your excuse for not doing something Um, sleeping yes I know and it has come to back to bite me in the last 12 months and we will talk about that later but you know there is that balance isn't there between prioritizing a bit of self-care and a bit of sleep versus actually this is really interesting and I've, I've to be honest, I've only really picked things that I'm interested in. I I don't I struggle to apply myself to learn something if I think that I can do it if I think it's going to add value, but I can't do it if I'm just thinking, oh, actually I'm really not interested in that. I'm doing it because I have to. So it's, all, it's a choice basically. Yeah. 
Yeah. And before we go on to talk about leaving the army and to talk about the other things you've been doing and like the transition, etc. Um, your job in the army, leading um, globally the Royal Military Police, having, you know, many, many people under your command in that zone. So there's a few things that spring to my mind. I'll get to a question in a second. Just wait for it. So the things that come to my mind is there's a lot of people involved in that. It's a very serious subject because the stuff you're working on is serious. There are obviously kind of very big risks and issues and you're sometimes doing this in war zones and in really difficult circumstances. And there could be some people out there, including myself, who sit there and think, blimey, how do you find some work joy when there is all of those difficult, challenging things coming? So if you could um, put yourself back in a time machine to the times when you were in that zone, how did you manage to create some work joy for yourself and for the people in your command when you were doing that really challenging work? Oh, gosh, that's a hard question. I know. Thanks. It wasn't supposed to be easy, was it? I think, okay, so there's a number of things. So firstly, um, yes, we dealt with some really difficult things, some really unpleasant things. Um, And in some ways, those are the ones where you're able to get um, really motivated to do a good job because there's a victim at the end of that. Or it could be that there's a victim's family and you want answers, you want the truth, you want them to have a degree of closure. So that really does, you know, motivate um, not only me, but a a team. So I think, you know, for me, that that is really important. But I think broader than that, it's about um, watching other people learn and grow and develop and um, achieve their own successes achieve their own level of confidence but any um you know, any leader in any environment is going to take work joy from that um and i think you know one of the things we have to be really careful of was that um how do we how do we make it okay for people to be vulnerable how do we make it okay for us to you can't normalise some of the things that people are doing, but what you can normalise is some of their routine and um, teach them the coping strategies to deal with some of the issues that they're facing and become more resilient. Um, and so I think, you know, providing people with that um, that opportunity and, and those experiences is really important. But that only really comes if you've got a really clear um, mission statement that everyone is bought into, that there's a vision of where you're going. People understand what their priorities are that sit within that. Uh, And therefore you have effectively a unifying purpose that everyone can get behind. Um, So people are really driven and really focused um, because they have to be. Um, But, you know, that absolutely can can give work joy. It's really interesting as well because everything you talked about there is not anything that's just limited to the military place is it it's you know getting people behind what you're trying to do behind the purpose I love what you talk about there is the stuff that can't you can't normalize what's the routine that's wrapped around it so that life seems normal as normal as it can be I think that's really interesting and that those coping strategies there will be people out there in the world doing lots and lots of different jobs here right who are listening in and going "Mm, okay how does that apply to my world and I think it is easily applied isn't it what do you have in your life not just in your work that makes you feel um resilient that makes you feel like you're able to cope with stuff that makes you feel able to get on with the tough stuff when it comes so that you can feel the joy of the result of that or you can feel connected to the purpose it's really good that it's not just a there's not a special military source here it is a really good leadership and thinking about how do you bring people together with that one purpose and some of it can be on a, such a basic level, can't it? It's, you know, what are those foundations or the building blocks in terms of, you know, um, health, in terms of um, exercise, in terms of fresh air, in terms of food, in terms of sleep, all those things that, you know, certainly during the, the pandemic have really come to the fore for people, you know, that they become more important than ever um, to sleep, sort of nor- normalise that. But also recognising that, you know, I would imagine for a large, Either the population, they aren't necessarily in a in a job that brings them work joy um, all the time, if, if at all. So, how do you then understand what that joy is in the wider parts of your life? So, if you're in a 
if you're in a job that is not um, necessarily fulfilling you, how can you, what, what makes you tick and how can you add that fulfillment in in other ways? Yeah. And it's one thing that I always say about work choice. This isn't about finding joy 100% of the time. There are always going to be bits of your working life that are slightly frustrating or that you don't want to do because there's no such thing as the perfect job. That's my opinion on it. And if anyone has found the perfect job where they never have to, you know, do the stuff they don't like, um, I'm well impressed. Uh, but it's, it is about, sometimes it's about knowing that and under, I, I really believe in tracking it and understanding what it is that brings you joy and doing more of that stuff and then making decisions about careers about is this what you want to keep doing or do you want to change what you're doing is it is it enough for you is it too much for you and kind of really calibrating where you're at and that's where I'm going to like lead us nicely in now so after a 20-year career you decided to leave the army and to go exploring on different things so this is a big transition right from military life very structured very much a part of how you live your life as well as the work and um, tell us a little bit more about the transition that you're in. Oh, I'm glad you said in because it's not over. <laughs> um, and I've, well, my last day in uniform was July 19. So we're, we're, we're two years into it. Um, and it was a huge decision for me to leave and a very difficult one but one that I was really confident about in the sense that I knew that I'd I'd almost had such such a good time and achieved everything that I wanted to achieve that I felt that if I stayed I would then potentially fall out of love with what I was doing and I didn't want to do that I wanted to be able to look back and say actually that was brilliant I've learned career but actually there's a big wide world out there and I think in a military um sort of environment that you know many people were leaving their mid-50s um wow that's quite a hard time of life to get a job um, and to start a second career and so it was almost if I go a bit early then I've got a bit of a buffer in terms of time to explore a bit and find my way and actually un- understand what's out there because let's be honest Beth I hadn't I hadn't had a proper job. <laughs> you did have a proper job. You did have a real job. No, it's just in, in a very specific world, right? Which is an all-encompassing world. Yeah, and it is, you know, it is vocational. I believe it is. And, um, you know, if, if it was just a job, people wouldn't do it, would they? It, it's much more than that. It means much more than that. And therefore, the transition is is much more difficult. And, it, you know, I liken it often to athletes when they retire from sport. And I've described it on a number of occasions as, um, you know, you're part of a club and you wear a uniform and then suddenly you take that uniform off and no one knows who you are anymore and it completely lost your identity. And that wasn't to say that being in the army defined me, but I guess if I'm honest, it probably did. That's who I thought I was. I was, you know, I was this rank, you know, as I went through and, um, and it wasn't about, you know, well, who is me? Who's the person underneath? What do they stand for? What are their values? And actually, what what do they want to do? What can they do? And trying to unpick all that um, is really hard. And then you get chucked into a, a pandemic. <laughs> Just to make it slightly easier. But in a way, do you know what? It's been a fascinating two years because I've learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about um, where I think I'm resilient and perhaps where I wasn't as resilient as I thought I was, what I really um, perhaps hold most dear, um, what I will tolerate and what I won't and where I want to be. Um, what I'm still not necessarily clear on is what are those stepping stones to get to that point. Um, but that's work in progress. Um, and actually I have, you know, luckily a little bit of time on my side to to, to do that work and to get some experience doing different things along the way. You know, if you've, if you've worked for 20 years in the military and you've never worked in the corporate environment or, um, you know, you've never worked in the city or you've never worked in retail or, you know, I just didn't have any other experiences to be able to use as a frame of reference. So I've been really fortunate to be able to do some different things and go, oh, I wonder what this is like. Um, and in each of those experiences, I've found things that um, I have taken away from that, whether they're positive or negative, that help you grow and help you shape the next adventure. Um, I'll, I'll do a bit more of that and a bit less of the other thing. So, you know, everything, everything. I'm, I'm sure that you know, I've spent the last um, eight months or so working 
might. And I would say that that is not a young, or it is a young person's game. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's been a, you know, I have the utmost respect for people who work night, day in, day out, or night in, night out for years and years and years. Some people it really suits. Um, but actually, that's been really interesting for me. It was something, despite, you know, being in the army, other than being on exercise or on operations, I hadn't really experienced that before. And yet lots of the people that I led did work shifts. So it was really interesting to see, you know, how did I feel about that and, and draw from those experiences and how the, the past and the present collide. Yeah. It's it's really fascinating. And I, I love the way that you, you, you agree that you're kind of in this transition. I'm going to call it a career adventure because that sounds like exciting, oh, like you're exploring all these different areas. Um, and the thing that was coming to mind when you were talking about it is it's almost like you're a fresh graduate going out and exploring the world, but with 20 years worth of experience. You're absolutely right. And the one thing that I suppose um, has been fascinating to me is how some potential employers are really interested in what you've done before and what you're capable of and what your level of experience is and can really see the benefit in having someone who's got 20, 25 years of career behind them. Whereas others, just it is like you're joining at the graduate level and actually everything else you've learned before doesn't, have, doesn't hold value for them. And so that's been a really interesting experience in itself. Um, you know, because I have worked actually in the last two years with a number of um, graduates, which I find fascinating. I'm deciding that it keeps keeping me young. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, it's really interesting to see the, the job market from their perspective as well. Um, you know, and it's tough out there. It really is. Um, and also, it is tough, but there's also so many options. I don't think, you know, when I was growing up, I don't remember being faced with that, that wealth of choice about what you do you know it was kind of we were put placed in buckets of type of activity it you know whereas now if you were to go on to a you know one of the uh, infamous you know uh, job um search engines I mean where do you start yeah um yeah and particularly you know if you've got a degree in or uh, some you know or any kind of higher education or training in a particular area that's vocational kind of that's really easy isn't it because it channels you down there but you know if you do what I did and go and do history great now what (laughs) and in some ways that's great because it gives you the freedom but it it doesn't help you know if I think that I didn't join the army at 23 I have no idea what I would have done yeah and I suppose this is that you didn't do it when you were 23 the the going exploring because you had your career set you knew what you were going to go and do you were just waiting for the right time to go and do it so it's it's, it's almost like going back in time but into this into a very very different world of jobs that didn't exist two years ago and um careers that didn't exist five years ago and new jobs and new things coming up every day so it must be a really fascinating and in some ways massively scary adventure and I just wanted to say actually really thank you for being so open and honest about how it's so easy isn't it to see the end part of a story versus the middle part the difficult things and it's so nice to hear people sharing that you're you haven't necessarily found the exact thing yet no and it's I think when you leave the army or the the military full stop there's almost very much a focus on that resettlement activity to get you the, the job and if you don't know what that job is um or you're not sure what what it would be then it's having that level of confidence to go, actually, it's okay to try different things. And it, you know, gosh, it has been, it has been scary. Also, because I'm not a graduate, and because I am in my mid 40s, I have responsibilities, as in, you know, I've got a mortgage and two kids to bring up and, you know, bills to pay. So although I do have freedom, I don't have the freedom that perhaps I might do if I was 22 and I could still live with mum and dad and actually my salary is great, but I'm going to buy a car with it or go on a nice holiday when we can travel again. Um, you know, that's that's being really unfair. I'm not tarring all, all graduates with with that brush. I didn't mean it in a, in a negative way, but actually I've had to be really, I haven't had as much freedom as perhaps I would have wanted to because 
there are though requirements placed upon me yeah and that makes it a little bit oh okay what are we going to do next (laughs) yeah so there's some necessity there right there's some we can't just I can't just spend two years like sitting around waiting for the perfect job to come I need to go and earn money while I do this and I need to find a job that works for me and my family and I need to so so there and I think this is so true and take it out of the army context or the military context there are many people out there who get to I think it happens often between kind of 35 and 45. That's the the experience I have with people who people go, this isn't the career I want anymore. And I have spent 15, 20 years building this career. And I thought that's what I wanted. But actually, the goalposts have moved and I actually want something different now. And I don't know exactly what it is, but I've got that, you know, that kind of real inner knowing, that real feeling that this isn't what I want. But I haven't got the answer to what I do want. And that going and exploring having a career adventure um however scary it is actually may end you up in a really really good place but the idea that we just know that we just know exactly what the job is when there are so many jobs out there and so many different options and being employed or self-employed or being an entrepreneur that the options are almost too much to make those decisions i know and i think when i um embarked on this adventure I thought I would know instantly what I wanted to do. And it turned out I was completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, and then, and at that point, then I struggled a little bit with my confidence, to be honest, because I sort of went in one direction and thought, aha, this is it. I'm all over it. And then decided that, oh, actually, maybe this isn't the right environment for me. I'm not necessarily feeling as though I'm thriving here. I'm not necessarily... um, one of the things I struggle with is feeling that I'm not being used to my maximum sort of capability. Um, you know, there's so many things that I can offer. And I think that goes back to my earlier comment about some, some employers being keen to understand what you can do and others really not necessarily um, taking a view. They'll mould you into their own uh, way of thinking. But, you know, I want to be fulfilled in what I'm doing from a work perspective um, and therefore you know, finding that right environment of finding where I fit. I want to recreate that sense of belonging that I had when I was in uniform. And I might never find it in my working life. And therefore, how do I create that outside of my normal sort of full-time employment? How do I get that in my yeah. life? Because it's really important to me. And this is where nice segue there, Jules, into the stuff that you do outside of your job and obviously big part of that is being chair of British wheelchair basketball so tell us a little bit more about how that came to be well I was really fortunate to go on a leadership development course um, a couple of years before I left the army and um, one of the other individuals uh, on that experience was the CEO of British wheelchair basketball um, and I'd been thinking that you know, when I leave the military, maybe I'll look at sort of a Ned portfolio type career. And uh, and then an opportunity came up to join the board. Um, and so I went through the application process and interviewed that, for that. And for me, we talked at the beginning, didn't we, how sport has been really important. To have, it was just like everything, all the stars aligned. Um, it was... Um, it was a sporting opportunity where it was a leadership role that I could be involved in. I could give something back. Um, and, you know, inclusivity is hugely important to me, um, not only from my own personal experiences with my daughter growing up, who was born profoundly deaf. And, you know, that experience and has really shaped the way I think about us as a as, 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 oh, I can't think, put the thing back in. <laughs> As a society, you know, yeah. how, we, how we genuinely um, live those values every day, um, how to make sure that she is included in everything that she does um, and given those opportunities as a young girl. Um, but then how do I, you know, how do we expand that and broaden that into um, the world of sport and life and careers in general? Um, so, um, you know, 
really fabulous opportunity and you know to work hand in hand with Lisa as CEO who is a huge huge talent um, has been really really rewarding um, and particularly we've had such a tricky 18 months as as you well know um, trying to navigate through significant risks in terms of COVID but then prepare for Tokyo uh, and all that means and then Paris and the strategy for Paris and beyond but wider than that you know it's not just about the elite athletes although they are a huge part of what we do it's about how do we expand that in the at the grassroots level how do we double participation in the sport how do we give people the opportunity to have a go at British wheelchair basketball and we've just secured a huge investment for our Inspire a Generation campaign, which is just a joy to watch people across the community becoming activators and inspiring, um, you know, young people uh, and, you know, more senior people, that opportunity to just have a go at something that they would never have even considered before. Um, it's just, it's hugely rewarding. And that's the bit that gives me some some work joy in my life, as you can probably hear in the way that I talk about it. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because the way you talk about your uh, the kind of career side, the job side. So we we'll call it your job versus your work here. So the job side is still kind of that adventure, that exploration, that not knowing, the finding out. It sounds like on this side of your life, in this bit of work, and and in the work joy theory of everything, work is anything that you do where you expend effort, energy, experience your skills. It's not about whether you get paid for it or not. So volunteering and doing work such as you're doing here in that kind of non-executive type role at boards and support and trustees definitely fit into work joy. It's just like the work that you don't necessarily get paid for. So I totally get it, but your, your voice really, your voice lights up. That doesn't quite make sense in the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you you knew what I meant right is that you get some real energy behind your voice here so it sounds like on this side of your life you've really found the place where you can get that work joy well it's it's knowing that you can make a difference um and it's always that's always such a trite thing to say but I know that I can help I know that I can lead that I can bring the team together that I can support that I can offer advice that I have you know a background in sort of strategy and governance There's all those things that we need to to help us move forward um and to and to take the organization you know into the next 10 15 years and beyond how do we make BWB be a force for good outside of what people might think the narrow parameters of an NGB are. It's much bigger than that. Um, and having that opportunity to be involved and help shape some of that, it's just incredible. I love it. And for, for people who uh, haven't yet been following British Wheelchair Basketball, um, I totally love it. It's such an exciting, fast-paced game. Uh, can you tell people a bit more about it so that people understand what it is you're working for it's just, well, apart from anything else it's absolutely nails so if you think about it, and it's it is it's seriously um my background obviously in terms of rugby and obstacle course racing and then um you know martial arts i've always been attracted to those sort of physical contact sports. and you know um i'm lucky and that i live at the moment quite close to London Titans and I quite often, you know, when I could, was able to go and watch them play and you'd say, oh my goodness, it's just brutal. Um, but the smiles of joy on these players, it's just an absolute pleasure to watch. Um, the Commonwealth Games is going to be fascinating because normally we play five versus five and for the first time we're going to be doing three versus three and so that's been a really interesting thing to see how that's progressed uh, through a lot of people being reluctant and thinking, oh, this isn't good for the sport. And then other people saying, well, actually, that provides us a huge opportunity about how to play differently. What skills would we learn doing three versus three that we could take into the ordinary game? Um, so, you know, and, you know, we've got huge membership um, clubs all over the country, um, able um, bodied uh, and disabled. So um, there are plenty of opportunities for people to uh, go and have a go. And, you know, if you if you want to get involved, um, you know, 
look us up on the internet and inspire a generation. And there's a huge opportunity right now to, to be involved in this programme uh, and to give wheelchair basketball a go. And also, obviously, follow the team through the Paralympics because we have incredible men and women's team. Uh, they're good, are going to do fabulous things. Um, you know, I really feel for them in terms of going to Tokyo. It's been a really tricky road to get there. Um, but uh, they are raring to go and uh, they're going to do brilliant things. And I can't wait to watch them uh, on a big screen back here. Yeah, and here's the interesting thing. This podcast will come out after they've played. So I'm like, oh, I I really want to be able to, maybe I'll be able to come and record a little outro at the end that tells everyone how they did. But uh, I am so excited to see where they get to and um, how, you know, overcoming what has been a really tricky 18 months of training you know delayed games a very different games to what they were expecting potentially because of all the regulations and who's going to be there and not going to be there is um what resilience those athletes must have to be able to make that happen yeah I mean and also how do you measure success how do you measure success this year because it's so different. Yes, medals are important. That's what everybody wants. But actually, you know, for me, the measurement of success is getting everyone there safely, getting them home safely um, in the current environment. And actually, if, you know, if they bring home anything, then that's fabulous. It's the icing on the cake. But to be honest, the achievement is getting them there and back um, and giving them that opportunity and that platform to be able to you know, expose to everybody else what they've been working so hard for um, back here, um, you know, in their own living rooms, in their own gardens, you know, having to carry on training. I mean, just incredible resilience, as you can imagine. Yeah. And isn't it interesting how, um, obviously, you talked about it's not just about the elite end of the sport, it's about inspiring people, but how when you get that amazing stuff on the TV back here, when you see people play, how much that contributes to that inspiration of not just young people, but anybody who might be interested, being able to take that and go and do something and play locally and find a team or just try it out. And it can be amazing for getting people interested, can't it? Absolutely huge. I mean, you look at the legacy of London 2012, but if you think of sport like ours and what we're trying to achieve in terms of inclusivity, providing that opportunity for you know young people to play who might be you know excluded from other types of sports, you know, um, you know, giving them that opportunity to be able to to do the same as everybody else. That's just fabulous to be able to think that they can have that platform to do that. And, you know, our athletes, our elite athletes have have a really um, huge role to play in that and they're massive role models for the next generation. Yeah, amazing. I, I, I cannot wait. And it's only, oh, what is it, five weeks away or something until it... <laughs> At the time of recording, I'm definitely going to come back on and talk about what happened after this. We'll add it on at the end. So we have been chatting for a while and I could talk to you, obviously, for another three or four days. But I'm going to move us on, if it's OK, to get your quick fire question answers. Are you ready? I am. Right. Question one. For you as an individual, what is always guaranteed to bring you some work joy? Um being empowered in anything that I do so um, not only myself but being able to empower other people so allowing others to earn my trust and allowing them the freedom to develop and thrive and I think that translates across everything I've done in the military and beyond Um, giving people that opportunity to grow and develop um, and knowing that actually as a leader you take that responsibility and people have to learn by making mistakes and um, you protect them you're the you're the the magnet that sits in the middle you're the filter that sits between them uh, and other people uh, and allowing them to to grow I think for me that gives me huge word joy amazing thank you Uh, what book are you currently reading I've got two well actually I've really got three but I'm going to just go for two because I try and like read something that I think not that I ought to read but (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean I normally have sort of something else on the go as well so I'm just I don't know whether you're a Lucinda Riley fan but I'm just finishing The Missing Sister which is the last one uh, of the seven sisters which is fabulous my mum's finished it and I haven't which is really frustrating 
Um, but a very dear friend and a colleague from BWB also sent me recently and I've just started reading. So I've got Captain Tom's Life Lessons, which are amazing. Oh, yeah. Really, really good. And also You Do You by Sarah Knight. Um, and um, someone who, you know, has gone through this experience for the last two years, um, this colleague and friend of mine sort of recognised that that was a book that could probably help me and just give me that bring your confidence to a place where actually you can do you <laughs> do, do what you want but actually it's just written in such a fabulous way so I'm I'm part way through that one as well depending on what mood I'm in it would be <laughs> and I, I think that's, it's so interesting that that's the book that somebody sent you when you talked about you know who are that that journey of discovery oh that sounds really cheesy but just go with it and yeah. um, the discovery of who you are when you're not in a uniform who are you when you're not in the army and how do you feel confident and great about that being you absolutely absolutely you know you very well right question three um what's the best or most useful bit of advice that someone has given you in your life that you always come back to this is an easy one for me this is my dad and I had the same conversation with my son recently before his end of school year exams (laughs) which is read the question Um, (laughs) but actually it goes deeper than that and there's something that you can use in all aspects of a problem so my dad always used to say to me what are they asking you what do they tell you and what do you know and if you pull those three things together, then you can get through most problems. I like that. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and totally applicable in many, many situations, right? Exactly. To stop and just think, ask yourself yeah. those questions and see where it goes from there. Love it. Great advice. Um, what is one super practical, go and do today, tomorrow, the next day, really easy to do, but advice that you would give to people that would help them get more work joy? So I would say, um, accept that it's not selfish to put yourself first. And I'm really bad at doing this. I know that I am. So, it's just like take your own advice moment. Yes. yes. <laughs> I did last week. Um, I, I ended up declining um, an online session with um, a group of friends, um, which was actually going to be really useful, but I knew they were recording it. So it was a kind of compromise. And I had to prioritise, was I going to go to sleep or was I going to join this session or could I watch the session back later, which wouldn't be as such an um, immersive experience, but I would probably still get an awful lot from it. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, don't don't think that it's selfish to put yourself first. Self-compassion is really, really important. And I think that, you know, that's something I've, put to the bottom of my pile over the last two years and it took me getting quite poorly to actually realize that it needs to be me first and that isn't a selfish activity because you would say you know you put your your own life jacket on don't you before you put your kids anyone else's on but that is genuinely true you can't lead other people if you're not capable of functioning yourself I also love that you're sharing the one thing that you're actually still trying to work on yourself and not the one thing you'd be going oh yeah I'm the expert in this it's like no it's hard I'm still working on it yeah because actually I think you know sometimes saying saying no um you know I'm usually quite generous with my time but you know working nights at the moment sometimes I've had to say actually I'm really sorry I can't do that because if I do do that then it means I'm only going to get three hours sleep and that's not fair on everyone else certainly not the people have to live with me (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, I totally get that. So it's actually, it's not, and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because what we just, I've, I've been saying this for ages, is that we need a different word for selfish. We need one that hasn't got so many negative connotations with it, because looking after yourself is the role model that you want other people to do. You want other people to be able to look after themselves. You want to be at your best. You want to be well slept, well nourished, well hydrated, well read, well, you know, all of these things. And fitting all of those things into your life is actually quite hard. So you have to say no to some things or you will not be at your best. Absolutely. But it's really difficult to do. So know. difficult in practice. Yeah. We we can all we could all do with helping each other with that one, couldn't we? Supporting yes. each other with it. Right. Um, final one where can people find out more about you and your lovely work 
So I think from my perspective, I would want to push people towards exploring more about BWB, um, where they can get involved in watching British wheelchair basketball at all the different levels where they can get involved in having a go. Please support. You will have supported, I know, the Paralympics, but actually next year's Commonwealth Games too. So, <laughs> yeah. And it's at home. So, you know, we'll have plenty of opportunity for people to go and, and, and get involved. So, and know. hopefully in a world where we can all go and actually be with other human beings in a stadium and enjoy ourselves. Yeah, that would be exciting, wouldn't it? It really would be. Jules, thank you so much for today. Thank you for coming along. Um, it's been great to hear your story and the transition part. And thank you for being so open and vulnerable with actually the fact that it's not all there yet and you're still working through it. And I think for many people, including myself, it's really inspiring to hear the journey part of it. Again, slightly cheesy, go with it for a second, versus the here's the shiny outcome and the fact that you're still working towards some of those things. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Beth. Well, a huge thank you to Jules for coming on this episode of The Work Joy Jam. There are so many things that I have taken from Jules' conversation with me. And I think one of the really interesting things is about this transition around, it's not just about whether you come out of the army or it's about whether you're changing your career or you're thinking about a different role, is that sometimes, in fact, many times, many people, you don't have the exact answer. You don't know exactly what you want to be doing, but you know that you want to be doing something different to where you are now. and that restless feeling I think we sometimes get and if you identify with that this episode hopefully will have resonated with you and to perhaps think about you don't have to know the answer you can go on a bit of an adventure you can go and experience different things and to learn things and to try out different careers and see which one really fits you well and that doesn't mean that you have to find something that is 100% joyful all the time that's probably really unrealistic in the expectation but what are the things that really light you up in an organization what are the things that you don't enjoy so much so that you can steer your career in the direction that you want it to go in you can find the roles or the organizations or the type of being an entrepreneur that really really work for you i also think it's great the fact that jules is talking about the things that she does outside of work and outside of the paid job so it's still work and her role as the chair of British Wheelchair Basketball and how much joy that can bring using your skills in something that you feel really passionate about in something where you feel you are giving back and can help other people. So a huge thank you to Jules for coming along. Do go and listen to the other episodes that we have. We are on season three now, so there's plenty of different people, different backgrounds, different experiences to hear about them and what they think about WorkJoy and where they would recommend you could go and have a look for some of it. And if you're keen on developing your levels of WorkJoy, if you're thinking this is something you want to spend some time working on, why not have a look at Club WorkJoy? It's our club, it's our group that are an amazing community of people who are all trying to create and cultivate more joy in their working lives and the joy in the working lives of the people around them. We have events, we have networking, we do everything online, we've got an app where you can um, connect and collaborate with people from different organisations, different backgrounds, different experiences. If you want to find out more, go to www.createworkjoy.com, click on Club Workjoy and come and join this fantastic community. Thanks very much for listening.